from beautiful Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to today's study with Pastor Rick. And now, let's join today's sermon in progress. Repeat the topic with me, please. Say, facing the truth about you. I was um, getting dressed the other day. And while getting dressed, I ran into this wall. I don't know if you ever did this or not. Where you, you put something on, you don't like it. And you look in the mirror and you go, you got to be kidding me, right? This is not looking good today. And I, I was struggling. And I have, you know, a certain set of standards for myself. And um, I just was, I was struggling with my standard for me. I thought you're being picky, Ricky. Just put something on and go out the door. And then the other part of me is going, no, I, I can't wear this. And so I was in between those two, and this thought hit me. Temple, what's the truth? What is the truth about you today? What is it that you cannot do and be okay? Now, I'm not talking about anybody else. And sometimes when you have children, you know, family, employees, you lose sight of yourself. And you start thinking about somebody else. But there are moments when you need to face the truth about you. This is not about anybody else. This is not about what anybody else would do, how anybody else would preach, how anybody else would sing, how anybody else would lead, cook, clean. It's about me. What's the truth about me? What can't I tolerate? What is it that I just cannot accept? I can pretend, fake, but I don't like chocolate ice cream. I, I just, it's hard for me, and then you've heard this sad testimony before, but th- that's the truth about me. There's certain things that irritate me. That's the truth about me. What is the truth about you? And in that moment, I decided to wear what I wanted. I felt better, went out the door, and was a happy guy. And the sermon came to my mind. A lot of people, especially in my opinion, Christian people, have a hard time facing the truth about themselves. Because somehow in Christian thinking, in Christian teaching, we've, been, we've taught people, you can't be yourself. You need to be like Jesus. And you don't really know what that means because, you, you, you know, it depends on where you're at. Jesus sings loud. Jesus dances. Jesus falls out. Jesus, you know, goes to church all the time. Jesus, you know, gives money all the way. I don't, we have a lot of different standards for what Jesus expects from us. One of the books I'm reading right now is a book. Um, it's um, and you probably don't care, but it's uh, it's another book I'm reading, right? And so I'm, I'm reading this book. It's for school, but it's really interesting because um, the guy is bothering my brain a little bit. He's been messing with me, and so Sheila Bishop's going, "What book is that? I want to read that one." Um, it's about pastors. It's called "The Pastor as Public as a Public Theologian." The pastor as a public theologian. Don't read it. It'll bore you. But it's by a guy whose name is too long to pronounce, but um, Kevin Van Hosen and Owen Strachan, something like that. The pastor is a public theologian. The thesis of the book is this. Pastors are confused about what their role is. Am I a theologian, a Bible teacher person teaching you theology, or am I a person teaching you how to practically live? That there is a tension between those two. And then what happens is you get so focused on practical living that you don't teach people the word. You know what I'm saying? Everything is practical. 
And so we throw words out like sin, um, hell, anything that's not fun. We throw all that out, the theology side of it, last days, judgment, all that we throw out, and we only talk about how to make your life better, how to feel better about you, and so on. And so his point in the book is that sometimes pastors aren't sure what they're supposed to do. Their job description is all confused. They don't know whether they're supposed to be a political advisor, a, a medical advisor, you know, you're healed in Jesus' name, or am I a guy that's teaching you about how to function in society, how to solve society's issues when they're political or social problems, you know, who's a call a preacher guy? And so the, the preacher guy, sometimes when you look at his job description, is long and unclear even in his own mind. And he's supposed to be good at everything. Psychiatrist, he's supposed to be a good counselor, he's supposed to be a good cook. You know, he can cook up good meals. And he just, he's, a, he's an intellectual, ask him any question. And so his point is sometimes the preachers are overloaded and confused because they don't know who they are. They don't know the truth about themselves. And I thought, well, boy, that's true for moms and for dads and for a lot of people. The truth about you is a very helpful, profoundly life-changing gift when you know it. I am this way. Maybe I shouldn't be, but this is how I am, and I need, I need to be that way. So let me tell you, take you to a guy. His name is Paul who knew the truth about himself. And in, first, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 25, he lays out for us six things that I want to highlight today. These are six things that most people would never say about themselves. That's what makes you know it's honest. Because when you ask a person about themselves, they'll always start with the good stuff. Very seldom is a person willing to say, here's what it is. Whenever I counsel married couples, you know how I can tell when they're really going to, you're going to really make progress? Everybody puts their bad stuff on the table. Well, Pastor, I do cuss him every now and then when I get mad. And I, I, did, I, did, I did hit him the other day. And yeah, I did. I did hold back some money because she made me mad. So I hid about $1,000 from her and didn't tell her. And she was struggling and I didn't even help her get a car payment. So her car got repossessed. You know, it's terrible. I know. So you, when everybody puts their bad stuff on the table, we're going to make progress. It's when the conversation is about them and not you at all, I know we're not going to get far. It's got to be about you. It's not always about the church you attend or the people you work with. That's how I know, again, if you work with people, and it's always about them in every conversation. 80% of your comment is about how evil this person is. And there's nothing in there about you. That's when I know we're not making progress. So the truth about you. Paul in Romans 7 models how to tell the truth. It's just really amazing. Starting in verse 15. Let me just read it for you first, okay? I'm going to read all the way through it, and then I'll come back and summarize it for you. First he says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decided one way, but then I act another. <laughs> Doing things I absolutely what? Despise. Let me just read it in pieces, not the whole thing. Verse 15 says, there are some things that I don't understand about myself. I love the fact that he admits it. I confuse me. I, I don't even get me. There, there are things that I am clear that I, I should do. I decide one way. I am not going to act this way. I am not going to ever say that again. 
But then I look around and I'm doing the absolute opposite of what I said. Even things I despise. I don't like sounding that way. I don't like acting that way. But I end up acting that way. Can you relate to that at all? There are moments in my life, if I'm really honest, the truth about me is there are some things I don't understand about myself. The Apostle Paul said this about himself. Now, see, Christians don't have in their vocabulary this kind of language normally. They, they, have, a, they have a hard time saying I'm jacked up. But that's what he said. That's edited, but that's what he said. He's basically said, I've got a problem, and I'm telling you, it's horrible. Second thing he says is this. There are some things he couldn't figure out alone. He's so messed up, he says, I need some help. Look what he said in verse 16. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for me, for myself, and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. I need God's help because... Obviously, I can't figure out what's best for me. This is the message version, by the way, and it's really great. He says, not only am I jacked up, but I can't figure it out. I can sit there. And here's a guy who prays. Here's a guy who's Christian, definitely a Christian. He's a preacher. He's a man of God. He's the, he's the main teacher of the Bible. He's the main teacher of the New Testament. And he's saying, I don't even know how to figure things out about me. I'm always amazed at how Christians act like I know everything. And you don't. You're not saved, sanctified, and full of all wisdom. You could be a horrible wife and be saved, go to church, pray, read the Bible, fall out, speak in tongues, backwards and forwards, and you could be terrible to live with. And can't see it. Can't even see it. You don't even hear yourself at all. The Apostle Paul says, let me tell you, I am difficult and can't figure this out. I keep doing what I said I'm not going to do. In the King James, it says, you know, I desire to do good, but evil is always before me. You know, so it says in the King James. I'm always doing what I shouldn't do. And let me tell you, I can relate to that. You know, do you know how I avoid this in my life? There's a little sidebar here. I sit down and say, come on, Temple, you know the truth about you is one, two, and three. You're going to be late if you don't leave now. You're going to piddle yourself into tardiness. You, sir, can't. I, I, I have to tell myself, no, 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 no. Save the money now. No, transfer it time you get paid. Don't do it. If you don't do it now, you will never do it. That's the truth about me. What's the truth about you? I've learned that I do much better when I stick within certain boundaries. Study when you're supposed to study. Period. That's it. No conversations, no, no, side, no television, cut it off. You're going to watch it. You're going to be distracted by it. This is no. No. I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. I, I have to tell myself, no, I can't. I can't. There are certain obligations. I'll obligate myself to things. Commit to things. But no, you, you don't have time to come out and play. You can't. You got to hear me talking to myself. You can't go out and play. What do you mean? You got work to do. You have a plan to catch on Monday. You cannot go play today, buddy. You need to finish your work. You have to be to church today. What time does it start? Five o'clock. I need you to get there, please. There are times when you need to sit down and say, this is the truth about me. And what you see Paul doing is the same thing. Watch this, number three. 
He says, number one, there, there's some things I don't understand about myself, and there's some things he couldn't figure out. And then thirdly, he says, there's some things, there were things he knew but did not do. This is even amazing. Verse 17, watch. Basically, he's going to say, I sabotage myself. But I need something more. For I know the law, I know the rules, but still can't keep them. And if the power of sin within me, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't what? Do it. I decided to do good, but I don't really do it. I decided not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong, where at? Deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, read that with me, please, come on. The moment I decide to exercise, right? The moment I decide not to eat that again, somebody brings a pie by. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. This is a high level of honesty. This is a high level of maturity. This is a person that can succeed. In your life, you need to look in the mirror like I did that day and tell the truth about you. You can deceive people forever. You can deceive yourself, but you will never be free. Here is the pathway to freedom. Watch this now. Admit that your struggle is a a God struggle. There were times he admits he struggled with God. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 22. I truly delight in God's commands. I like the Bible. I like like what it says. (laughs) But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly or secretly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they, that negative part of me, takes charge. I want you to think about this for a second. Do you understand that when you don't do what you should do and you know you should do it, that you're really saying to God you're not going to do it? Do you really understand that this is an inward struggle that is personal and deep and it's not obvious a lot of time to people? But it's kind of like when you're hearing somebody talk to you and they're saying something to you and you say, I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. I heard it, but I'm not doing that. You can hear a whole sermon of being a great wife or a great boss, whatever. You, just, you, you hear it, but that's it. The re- it's, and it's so obvious to me, and I, I'm, I'm not just picking on this because it's, it's, but it's, it's an illustration of something. Um, and I plan to do this because I have a couple of series when I'm, I'm going to come back to um, for, the, for a good next few months. I'm going to still talk about decisions, right? And um, I'm going to talk about sexual decisions. So I'm going to talk about, you know, a little bit more about money decisions and some other things I'm going to talk about. Vocational job decisions how you make decisions. I'm going to spend some more time on that for the next few months. If you're honest, Paul is saying, I really 
in my decision-making process, disagree with God. I struggle. I did part of, part of me, I love the way words it, part of me is okay with him. Part of me is not. Part of me just flat out says, I don't agree. What parts of your life have you, if you're honest, that say to God, I don't agree with you. I don't agree. I, I used to spend an immense amount of time praying about the percentage of givers in a church. And I stopped doing that. I said, Father, pray, bless our church, bless and prosper our people. There will always be, William, you listen to this now, when it comes to money in particular, 70, 80% who won't agree. They won't agree, not with the Bible and tithing and all. They don't agree with that because you never did it. You've never consistently done it. So here's, here's what you come to. You come to a point where you look in the mirror like I did with the clothes and go, the truth about me is I don't agree with that. Not based on my actions. I don't believe that God's going to open the windows of heaven, pour me out a blessing. I don't believe any of that. Because even if you got more money, you didn't do it. So it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't, you know you, it's, not, it's not impossible at some point in the last 20 years you could have done it. It, it. it says, I don't believe it. Somebody wrote me a letter. I hadn't wrote it back yet, but she wrote me a letter about tithing. And she was telling me she disagrees with it. And, and I just I haven't had time to respond. But it's just, it's amazing how you can come up with all these thoughts and it's really a way to, to, to disagree with something that costs you something. That's the real issue. For some people, it's not marriage. They just disagree with marriage. They disagree with what it costs to be a husband. They don't like being faithful to one person. They disagree with that. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to be transparent. They don't want anybody to ask them any questions. They disagree with you ever having the right to ask them where they went or what did they spend that on. The issue is they don't want anybody to ask them anything at all. They struggle, like Paul said, with that whole issue. I love the fact that Paul says, part of me agrees with God and part of me struggles with it. And here's what's going to help you when you can admit that. Because first of all, God already knows it. You're the only one that doesn't know the truth about you. You're the only one that's being dishonest. He already is clear about where you stand. What made Paul great was not that he was perfect. Chapter 7 is a chapter he didn't have to write. He didn't have to list. And this is not the only place. He does it in at least a couple of three other places. He talks about how he killed people. He talks about blaspheming. He talks about his unbelieving season. He's really honest about his life. And that is, in my opinion, the pathway to getting better. You don't have to change today. I'm just simply saying start with the truth. You know, when you get married to a person, you come down out, you should say, I'm, I, I take you as long as you do what I say. Um, I'm going to love you as long as you don't make me mad. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm going to keep my money to myself. Um, I, I'm not going to keep you in sickness and health. If you get sick, I'm out of here. You know, you should tell the truth. Because your actions say, if you irritate me at all, if you whatever, whatever, I'm not going to speak to you for days. We're going to walk around the house and snarl at each other. That's what I, that, that's, that's really, that should have been your vows. Those should have been your vows because that's the way you've lived. That's the way you've lived. And that's the truth about you. I love Paul. I love his candor. I love his honesty. He said, based on, I love this, based on what I do, a part of me must not agree. 
Then he goes farther. He goes, he, does. he goes down the road a little more and makes two more statements that I think are profound. Watch what he says. He says, number five, there were times that I was just tired of everything. I've, I've tried everything, he said in verse 24, and nothing helps. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Prayed, talked to God, went to counseling, did everything. Nothing has worked. Then he goes on. I'm at the end of my what? Rope. Number five, you with me? I'm at the end of my what? Verse 24. Number five, it's all on the paper. You can't miss it. You with me? I'm at the end. It's underlined in bold print. I'm at the end of my what? There you go, people. Help a preacher. Is there no one who can do anything for me? That's the question. Am I a person that cannot be helped? Am I unreachable? I was preaching this sermon one time in a leadership session, and, and it was called Unreachable. And I was talking about preachers that are unteachable, unreachable, and why we are and how we become a hard bunch to reach. And this pastor sent me a little text message to say, am I unreachable? It's a powerful moment. I thought, wow, what a question. This guy's not unreachable. He's, he's, he's pretty open. He really is. He's, but he's been a tough, tough, tough guy to help. But he's, he's, when he asked me that question, I was so touched by it. I thought, no, you're not, a, not unreachable. But are you? Are you the kind of person that cannot be helped? I'm at the end of my rope, but there's no one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question, he says? Now, here's what I want you to think about. There is the possibility, if you're not careful, that you can be unreachable. There's a possibility that you have already reached your maximum potential for change. There's a possibility that no one will ever be able to teach you more than you know. There's a possibility that you cannot be changed. Your circumstance will be it until you die. You will never get beyond. You'll never go to the places on your list to visit. You're never going to ever, ever. Some things are just not possible for you. You will always be in strife with somebody. You can marry somebody else. You're still going to be in the same place. You can, you can go to another church and you have the same issues. You can, it doesn't matter where you live. You can move to Alabama, Mississippi, London, England, France. You go, anywhere you go, it will follow you because the problem is you don't know the truth about you. You believe it's always somebody else outside of you. But the truth is you're not looking at yourself. And so here's a question. Is that your future? Now, I give you the last point of the day is number six. There is one answer to all these issues, Paul said. This is what he discovered. Now, here's a guy. I want you to look at me for a second. Look at the preacher. Look at the preacher. Yeah, look at the preacher. Here's a guy who is, he has a Ph.D. level of education, speaks several languages. He's highly respected. He's in the, he's in the Marines of religious groups called the Pharisees. They said there were no more than 6,000 at one time. They were incredibly gifted. He was, he was mentored by Gamaliel, the top scholar of the day. This was, this was not a slouch. He even said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was just the guy. When he walked in the room, he was the guy. And this is the guy who says, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix me. You can go all to help groups, self-help groups, read the books. I'm not against any of that. That's all good stuff. But the real core fixer for your life, Paul said, is Jesus. Watch what he says. 
He says, thank God that Jesus Christ, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Who can fix me? Who can make things better? Jesus can. He said he acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Whenever you see the word sin, most people get lost because they just don't like it. It's It's an offensive word to most people. But the word simply means to aim at something and miss it. It means to just stumble. The word is not an offensive word. It's God in three words trying to summarize your life without him. It's going in the wrong direction. It's a sin to try to go to New York and go south from here. It just doesn't work. That's what the word sin means. So don't, don't get offended by it. Just wrap your mind around this idea. It's the wrong direction. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul's saying, I cannot get my life to go in the right direction without Christ. And I want to say that's more than just coming to church, lifting your hand and saying, I want Jesus in my life. It's more than that. What we've really forgotten is this relationship with Jesus is not about some kind of religious moment at the altar where you fall out and you say words and you speak in tongues and you shake your hands and wiggle your neck. It's more than that. It's, 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 It's a relationship. It's that intimate moment with God where you... Let God show you you. And he says, come here, let me talk about your words. Let me check you. It's allowing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what John 14, 15, 16 talks about, St. John. It's allowing the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, to come along, the comforter, to come alongside you and guide you and say, okay, in order for me to really help you see you, we've got to dive deeper than anybody can ever see. You'll sit there and hear a sermon like this one, and your mind has gone a lot of places already. Your mind just went all kinds of places that I would never suspect you need to have help in those areas. I, I don't know you that well, but the Holy Spirit does. And so when you open your heart and you open your mind and you let him talk to you, and that, that gets back to those simple, basic principle things like prayer and um, time and presence of God. When I see people that are in certain places, I can guess some things. When I hear a guy talk like this guy, I can guess some things. This kind of candor and honesty comes out of a relationship that's genuine. This is a broken person. This is a humble person. This is a person who's come before God and he's telling the truth. This is a person who knows himself. He's self-aware. Emotional intelligence, they call it these days. I just love that whole study. Am I intelligent about my own emotions? Am I aware what it's like to deal with me? Am I aware that my brain goes in the wrong direction very quickly? That I tend to dive into depression or dive into frustration or dive into anger? And it's all not because somebody did anything to me, really. It's me it's me. Paul didn't blame anybody, anybody for his issues. Every time you talk about something in your life, do you attach somebody else's name to it? You don't see anybody's name listed in here. It's always somebody else's fault. 
Is it always because the people around you aren't listening to you? Because they don't agree with you? And because this, your husband says, the husband is the husband is the husband. It's my, if I'd married Billy Bob, I'd be better off. Or Susie May or somebody. It's this man. It's this woman. It's this church. If I just had a preacher that was more fiery, I just had a preacher that would just, you know, let it out. Then I, oh man, I'd be go get that organ, get, get on the organ for me. If I got on that organ, if I could just, if I could just, man, if you could just rear it up a little bit, that'd fix it. That's the problem. If I just had another job, if I just had another boss, another boss, a bigger house, that'd fix it. If I got a bigger house, oh boy, my hair grew longer. Talk to me now. Log him. That's all you need. There you go. See, that, that'll fix it right there. Just put a little, little music behind it, a little organ. There you go. See, and just rhyme a few words together. That's what you need. You need to rhyme a few words together. Don't change my life. Can you say yes? Mm-hmm. You crazy with the organ. You crazy without the organ. The problem is not the organ. The problem is you and me. And not enough Jesus invited into our lives. I heard a comment in passing one day by a mentor of mine in a conversation about um, Benny Hinn. I've had the privilege of meeting him, being around him a bit. Uh, We ain't best buddies, but... uh, we got a little story, a small one, that we share, Ben Hinn and I. And I was, um, Jack Hayford was talking about Benny Hinn. I normally don't say what Jack says. I just want to say it this time. So this is, it's this good stuff. You'll like it. I don't talk about people. I didn't talk about themselves. But anyway, I don't want to drop names to drop names. You may not know who they are, but anyway. And somehow in the conversation, there was a statement about Benny and at the time, I'd never seen Benny Hinn. I don't know if you, how many know who Benny Hinn is? Yeah. I was in Jacksonville, Florida. I'll never forget. I was in a hotel room. And he came on TV. And it was 10,000 people, it must be. And he took his jacket off. And he swirled his jacket around. And Benny Hinn did just like this. Take it! And all of them fell down. I thought, nah, that ain't, that ain't real. <laughs> I said, nah, you know, I ain't never seen nobody do that. What in the world is he doing? And then people would come up, people would come up, I guess, people would come up, and he, he would lay hands on them and say, take it! They'd fall out. I thought that was the phoniest thing I ever saw in my life. I did. I thought, what in the world? And just because they wouldn't fall out when I waved my coat, see, you understand? <laughs> I told y'all a story. I was at one of the big conferences, and, and I was, you know, you, you know, when you go to the big conferences, and then, but, you know, you, you, there's a pecking order in the preacher's world, you know. How big is your church? Uh, say a certain number. Oh, boy. You know. And then so I had climbed the ladder. I was now in the reserve seats, and then I was in the pulpit with all of the people that I won't name that you know. And I was up there, and they called us all down. <laughs> I should say a few names, because it'd be fun, wouldn't it? We some fun, say, Jake's, and Winans, and 
everybody, all the people you know, you see. And they called them up there. Time for the big men going to pray for y'all. I never felt when they're down there. And he's laying hands. And he was falling out all over the place. And nobody was falling. I was praying for him. <laughs> said, you know, this ain't, this ain't working. So, you know, you just push a couple of them down. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> that's wicked. Isn't that wicked? That's wrong. I didn't push them hard. No, I didn't. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I did not. I'm going to go over here to a better member. I did not push it. I ain't talking to you either. But I did not. No. Okay, you are right. The rest of them, we ain't worried about them. But I didn't really push them hard or nothing. But I did feel some pressure. <laughs> you play some, wait, play something, play something. I get out of here. And so, Jack, back to Jack, he made a comment one time. He said, you know, you got to be careful that you don't get hung up on somebody else's style. That's just him. That's his style. That's his person. You get around him personally, he's just, he's, he's Benny. Him. Every day. That's just how he, you know, all right. And God meets you where you are. Come on, say amen. amen. God meets people where they are. And, I, and, I, and that, that statement by Pastor Jack was powerful because it made me think, you know, be careful that you're not frustrated with your wife's style. Your children's style, husband's style, trying to remake them in your image. That was a great moment for me because I know how conservative Pastor Jack is. But his point was, look over the coat. Look over whatever you see that you think is theatrical because that's the truth about who they are. And where they are. The question is not where they are. The question is where are you? Take everybody's name off the list. Romans 7 mentions nobody's name. Can you just for a minute. Ask yourself what is messed up in my life? What am I doing that I know I should stop doing? What am I saying that I should stop saying? What's the truth about me? I'll tell you something, I'm closing. When you get to that moment, you look in the mirror, you see the truth about you. I felt good all day. The truth about me is, today I want to wear jeans. Today. I want to fill in the blank. You'd be surprised how much better you're going to be. And then when you struggle and you know you're struggling with you, you then lift your hands to Jesus and say, can we spend more time together? And you open your heart. And what he'll do, he'll guide you to the right sources, books, sermons, places to help you be a better person. Not make somebody else around you better. To make you a better person. How about an amen? Father, I thank you for this time. The truth about us. Truth about me. What am I like? What am I missing? What do I keep doing over and over again? Why can't, what what is it that stopping me from receiving your best in my life? 
The comforting thing is that if the Apostle Paul can struggle, so can I. If it's not something that makes, made him hopeless, I'm not hopeless. Because if a guy who has, according to his own record, been to the third heaven, seen miracles, preached to thousands, preached most of the New Testament, the guy that God trusted the church with after Jesus died to guide the church to its most influential doctrinal study ever. He wrote, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy was amazing. But this man could stand up and say, I am flawed, and I am imperfect, and I know the truth about me, and I know the one person that can help me, and his name is Jesus. And so with our hearts lifted, we come to you saying, thank you, Jesus, for these few minutes together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if I spoke to you in a way today that made you rethink your walk with Jesus, maybe you said, after hearing you today, the truth about me is I'm really not walking with him. But I'd like to today, Pastor, leave this church having changed my mind. That's what the word repentance means. It means to change your mind. It's to think about it and say, you know, I'm going north. I need to go south. And so if that's you and you want me to pray for you because you want to start a real walk with Jesus, one that's genuine, not thinking about anybody else but yourself for a minute, raise your hand so I can pray for you. It's right where you're sitting. Say, yeah, but pray for me, Pastor. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. Anybody? Say, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Say, that's me, Jesus. Pray for me, Pastor. Anybody else? All it's going to do is I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to bring you up front. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, let's lift, lift our hands, everybody in the building, please. Every hand lifted. Father, we lift our hands to you today, setting ourselves in agreement with those who have acknowledged both in their hearts. Some have raised their hands, but some have raised their hearts today. And some have said, I need to really hear what I heard today. And I need to see the truth about me. I need Jesus in my life. I need a transforming moment in my life where I will never be the same again because I've invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to be the Lord of my life. Now I want you to stand on your feet with me, please, as I close up. Today, Lord, we leave believing that you have made the difference, believing that you alone, oh God, have made the difference. And I ask you in Jesus' name to let the Holy Spirit of the living God bring healing to every heart. As we leave, we trust you and we give you praise. Bless our missions effort this week. Let this be a time this month where we really bless the mission field. And people from Africa to the West Coast, people, Lord God, who will be touched by our missionaries that we're sending out to touch the world. The money we're sending to touch those thousands of kids in Uganda. And Lord God, I just thank you for what we're able to do as a church, both locally and internationally. And we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's study with Pastor Rick. If you'd like more information about Overcoming by Faith or you'd like to purchase additional product, feel free to write us at P.O. Box 15789, Savannah, Georgia 31416. Or give us a call at 1-800-932-KING. You can also visit our website at www.overcomingbyfaith.org.